0: In the early 2000s, Simon Tam of Portland, Oregon put some ads online to start a band. It took two years to finish the initial lineup, but once they did, they hit the ground running. Within a few months of their first show, they released their debut album, and the album was listed as Album of the Year in the Portland Music Awards, Rock Wired, and other magazines. They were entered into a battle of the bands to be featured on a reality show on Fuse TV. They were getting label attention, and they got invited to play at South by Southwest. It was going great until they ran into a problem. The problem was, they found out that they couldn't trademark their band name, because the band name was The Slants. I'm James Darty, and this is Name Changers. So what's wrong with the name The Slants? Well, slants is seen as a derogatory term towards Asian-Americans, referring to the quote-unquote shape of their eyes. However, the band was comprised solely of Asian-American members. Friend of the show, trademark attorney Christopher Roden, is a musician himself, so he's been hooked to this case ever since it started. Here's him explaining a little bit more about Tam's idea of naming the band The Slants.
1: And what, what's interesting about the Tam case is that Simon Tam and the band The Slants is sitting there trying to reclaim the phrase The Slants and to turn it from this racially disparaging phrase into and forge the connection in people's minds with their band. And to an extent today, they have. In the same way that uh, NWA was able to reclaim the N-word for, for the Black community and various other artists have as well. It's an empowering
0: sort of phrase for members of that community. Reclamation of a word is when a group takes back a derogatory term normally targeted towards their group to diminish the meaning. It's seen as an empowering action, and that's what Tan was trying to do by naming his band that. Unfortunately, the USPTO office didn't see it that way.
1: So what was interesting is once they got signed and everything, their their label told them that they needed to go for a trademark registration. Because that's one of the biggest things that you need as a band. Every band has one for their merchandise, for their recordings, for their live shows, and so on and so forth. At the same time, it can, it's absolutely disparaging for members outside of that community. So the examiner ended up refusing uh, registration on that basis. And because of the way that the Trademark Act is set up, that's not one of those that you can really argue against or present arguments against in the application process. So you end up having to appeal to the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board. That's an administrative court set up within the USPTO that sort of decides questions of trademark registrability.
0: And can you guess under what rules the trademark attorney denied it under?
1: So the examining attorney refused registration of Simon Tam's application based on a particular part of Uh, The United States Code that
0: governs trademarks, the Lanham Act. The Lanham Act. The act we talked about in the last episode with the Redskins, the reason that they lost their trademark. So the act is used as a blanket to prevent pretty much any derogatory term from being trademarked. But you got to question the intentions here. Do you think the Redskins had the same intent when they named their football team that the Slants did when they named their band? So TAM lost on the Trademark Trial and Appeals Board and goes straight to the circuit court. Now, in the circuit court, you're allowed to introduce some more arguments, and TAM's team introduced one by accident. So what's interesting is that uh, when they were appealing to
1: the federal circuit, what uh, Simon TAM and the slants were hoping to do was to demonstrate that the term slants isn't a disparaging term. That was the whole crux of the argument. They were trying to get a new factual finding on that. When the briefs were being prepared, apparently one of the uh, law clerks or the uh, lower down attorneys who was working on the case added a first amendment argument saying that, yeah, you, you're, you're stopping their You're preventing their freedom of speech, their freedom to choose their trademark. And it was sort of tacked on at the end as an afterthought. Once the, uh, Attorneys for both the government and Mr. Tam ended up in oral arguments for in front of the federal circuit. None of the judges really cared about the factual finding. They were more concerned about the validity of that per- particular portion of the Lanham Act, which caught both attorneys flat-footed. And apparently neither one was able to
0: make a very good argument. However,
1: the federal circuit ended up siding in
0: Tam's favor. So Tam won that round, but the government appealed, and they went all the way up to the Supreme Court. So we know TAM's argument, but what is the government arguing? Now, when the government presented its arguments, it presented three main arguments
1: in favor of its position that that portion of the Lanham Act is valid. It stated, one, that trademarks are government speech. Two, if they're not government speech, they're a government subsidy. And then three, they wanted to combine all of the government speech and government subsidy law, uh, jurisprudence to create some overarching scheme that applied to trademarks
0: now stop for a second and just take a step back a lot of people are supporting tam in his effort he's trying to reclaim a word that has been used against his people for a long time but you have to think about the ramifications that could happen if the supreme court does take his side
1: and that's really tough. And that's really where it comes down to a lot of subjectivity. So one of the great things is that there's one less limit on a person or a company's freedom of speech, because both an individual and a company can own a trademark. So if I wanted to go out and trademark something that's disparaging, not that I ever would, I absolutely have the right to do that. And that's both good and bad, because it allows for the reclamation of certain terms by those communities of interest like the Simon Tam and Slants. But on the flip side, it allows for people who have no connection with those communities to register trademarks for for particular goods like the Washington Redskins and their use of the term in connection with their football team and their lack of connection with any sort of Native American tribe. In fact, they pretty much eschew it. Similarly, uh, if you look at the flood of trademark applications that happened immediately after this was decided, uh, there were several people who tried to register swastikas. It's risky.
0: Once one person go through, it opens the floodgates for others, but doesn't need to be done. That's up to the Supreme Court justices to decide. So
1: what's nice is uh, ultimately this ended up being a unanimous 8-0 opinion with several concurrences. Ultimately, uh, the Supreme Court didn't buy a single one of the government's arguments. One of the first arguments that the government presented was that trademarks are government speech. And I'll let Justice Alito tell you how he felt about that argument. Uh, He states, in quote, on page 15 of the, I believe, still unpublished opinion, uh, for example, if trademarks represent government speech... What does the government have in mind when it advises Americans to, quote, make-believe, registered trademark of Sony, to think different, a registered trademark of Apple, to just do it, a registered trademark of Nike, or to have it your way, registered trademark of Burger King? He then goes on to say, was the government warning of an imp- a, a coming disaster when it registered the mark End Times Ministries? Basically, Samuel Alito is tearing this this argument apart because a trademark cannot possibly be government speech because it's not the government that is speaking. And the issuance of a trademark registration does not constitute government speech because all that a trademark registration does is confirm the validity of a set of trademark rights and provide some additional legal remedies and protections based on that federal registration.
0: The government's other argument of a trademark being a government subsidy was also thrown out. For it to be a subsidy, they would have to pay us. But in reality, in order to register a trademark, we have to pay them. So now that the decision is finalized, the Redskins have a new avenue to go down to get their trademark back. And believe me, they are exploring it. Okay, so what can we learn here? If you want to name your company something edgy and controversial, stop and ask yourself why are you doing it? Are you just trying to catch some eyes or are you trying to do it for political reasons? Are you an organization that's trying to reclaim a word or do you just want to use it in order to gain headlines? We live in a culture now where news flies in split seconds. There was a startup in San Francisco who announced their name and then two hours later apologized and changed it because of Twitter. I'm going to talk about them in a future episode. But just know, due to the internet, people will find out and people can be angry. Just think, if you have one influencer mad about your name, they can tweet about it and then have all of their followers potentially be mad about it. A lot of companies remedy this by trying to do polls in communities. The Redskins claim to have done polls in Native American communities asking if the name is offensive. Each time it came out that most of the people who took the poll found it not offensive. But critics have come down on the poll saying it was unfairly done and not equally represented. You could run a poll, but it still might backfire on you. Because you can't ask everyone. You have to sit down and ask who could i offend when this name and if you do offend someone is it worth it it's a lot of time and a lot of money to go to court cases and go through bad pr is the name something you need to have and if it is hey good luck and the supreme court's got your back Name Changers is made in association with Namestormers, a naming agency in Austin, Texas. Find out more about them at Namestormers.com. Very special thanks to Christopher Roden. If you like what you hear, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really helps people find us. I'm James Darty. I'll see you next time.